0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series this week, Faith that Works. So turning your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27 as we look at a message entitled Doing the Word.
1: I love the idea of golf. Yeah, golf hitting a little white ball all over some vast field and tromping slowly after it and hitting it again until finally you tap it into a little hole. And you should do all of that without losing your sanctification. You know, for many years after having preached on Sunday, I'd eventually find my way home exhausted and I would turn on the television and watch golf. Now, my wife will tell you I never really watched golf at all. She claims I fell asleep about five minutes in and she would walk over and turn off the TV and smile as she watched me fast asleep. She knew I never liked golf. I just liked it as a means of falling asleep. But I think she's wrong. See, I claim to have lasted some 20 minutes of watching golf. And and furthermore, I, I claim to have learned how to play golf from watching that golf on Sunday afternoons. You know, one of my favorite jokes is about a golfer whose whose ball landed next to an ant colony in the ground. He grabbed his club and he swung at the ball and he missed and he took out about one-third of the entire ant colony. It was a a terrible moment of devastation if you were an ant. Well, the golfer steadied himself and he took another swing and he missed again and he took out another one-third of the ant colony. And with that, one of the ants cried out, follow me. If if we don't get on the ball, we're all going to die. You see, I love that joke because it tells me that in order to golf properly, you've got to keep your eye on the ball. I also love that joke because I think the golfer in question, well, I think that's probably me. But here's the truth. I hardly ever play golf. I never practice. And when I actually play, all the stuff that I'm supposed to know, well, that stuff goes right out the window as I hit the ball and it flies into a body of water or in some farmer's field. See, I never do. I just know what I'm supposed to do. Now, I don't worry about any of that because it really isn't that important. I enjoy the odd and occasional round of golf and I never get any better at it, but it doesn't matter. But here's something around which theory and application is very important. I'm reading James 1:22 to 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if you're reading closely, please notice that James is addressing believers. He has reminded us in verse 21 that the Word of God has been implanted in us, and since that is so... We are not to resist the Word. We need to nurture an attitude that finds the Word to be welcomed and desired. We ought to be reading the Word. You know, one of the spiritual disciplines that new believers in Christ are are to learn is to establish a pattern of spiritual discipline. You know, that includes the weekly habit of being in church where, where we can be instructed in Scripture. But as valuable as that is, it's also important to establish a daily habit of prayer and Bible reading. You know, for many years now, I've encouraged believers to regularly read through the entire Bible. You know, but if that's difficult for them, I then encourage them to read through the Bible every two years. But I'm very concerned that people begin to feel comfort and familiarity with not just a few verses of the Bible. Now, yeah, that's important to, to memorize some very favorite verses, but I want people to become familiar with the whole of Scripture. But, says James, that's not enough. It really is possible to read the Word and not do the Word. See, already James has reminded us of the danger of the person who simply wants to talk about the Word rather than the person who wants to listen to the Word. You know, talkers of the Word have ready advice for everyone. They're, they're constantly correcting others. They're, they're making application for others, but they don't listen to what the Word is saying to them one of the worst things that can happen to you is that you become an expert in scripture and theology and you never apply it to yourself. You know, you love to study, but your life remains unchanged. You know more about the historical background of the Bible than anyone else, and you can lecture on that and you might even understand Greek and Hebrew grammar, and you can analyze the syntax of a sentence, and you've mastered systematic theology, and you can lecture on everything from God's natural to special revelation, and you know what the hypostatic union is, and you've taken a position on the debate between supralapsarianism and infralapsarianism. All that stuff's familiar to you. But you might not know is that you're becoming a Pharisee. You've become a professor of scripture, whose insights leave others mystified, but you yourself are not moved by the plight of others. You're a professor of Scripture, but you're arrogant, and you're unmerciful, and you're impatient, and you're impatient with those who don't grasp the insights that you have. Look again at verse 25. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he's like. You know, in order to understand what James is saying, you've got to imagine the ancient world in which James lived. You know, the invention of glass mirrors, as we have them today, were still many centuries off. You know, most people in that day had no idea of what they actually looked like. You know, most mirrors that existed in James' day were made of either polished brass or bronze. And if you had a lot of money, you could upgrade and get one of those that were made of silver or gold. But if you've ever stared into one of those, you'll know how distorted those images tend to be. So in order to get a sense of what you looked like, you had to find the best light and turn the mirror to several angles and you might get the best possible view of yourself that you could. So compare that to today when, you know, our glass mirrors are crystal clear. You know, on top of that, you've got countless pictures of yourself that they're all in high def. And as well, most of us have seen a number of videos of ourselves that see Everything from the different perspectives of what we look like and as we walk and talk and gesture and do those things that are unique to ourselves. In our day, we take for granted that we know what we look like. But unlike today, in the ancient world, most people really didn't know what they looked like. You had to stare intently at a mirror to get that sense. But even so, it was very easy for people to have the wrong idea of what they looked like. I mean, after all, how could they know? And by the way, does that sound strange to you? Well, it should. But we need to imagine a world where we might never know our own physical appearance. See, James uses that as an analogy to speak to us about our spiritual condition. Just like in the ancient world, none of us today really know what we look like spiritually. I mean, think about that with someone else. I mean, how easy is it to see their faults, faults that they can't see in themselves? But when we think about that and how frequently we see that in someone else, we've got to therefore also conclude that it must be true of us. I mean, what is it that others see in both our moral and spiritual condition that we can't see in ourselves? I mean, what do we actually look like spiritually? And then to complicate matters even further, which people will we trust when they point out our own imperfections? And whom will we trust when they flatter us? You see, some people may only want to hurt us. Are they really reflecting what we're really like? And others who flatter us, I mean, for all manner of reasons, I mean, they may not be revealing their true intentions in flattery. See, just like the ancient world with its imperfect reflections— So if we're honest, we're gonna have to admit that none of us really know what we look like either morally or spiritually. We are a mystery to ourselves. And what makes James fascinating is not just that he says that when we only hear the word and don't do it, then we're like someone who looks intently into a mirror and doesn't remember what he or she looks like. But behind that thought is the statement that, that reading the word really is like looking at ourselves in a mirror. For James, one of the purposes of the Word is to allow everyone who reads it to do serious self-evaluation or to examine ourselves in the light of Scripture. And James is aware that the Word will show us not only the things for which we are to give thanks, but the Word will also clearly reveal our imperfections. So we need a mirror And that mirror is the scripture you need to examine closely. You need to turn it carefully to see it in the light of its revelation. And as you look closely, see yourself created in the image of God. See yourself fallen into sin. See yourself redeemed by Christ and forgiven. See yourself in your ongoing struggle against the flesh. And the word will define all of that you'll get an altogether accurate picture of who you are spiritually and what you need to do.
0: In Jesus' parable of the sower, it's the soil that enhances the harvest. Hardened ground must be broken up. Earth riddled with stones or weeds has to be sifted. When the soil is prepared, the seed bursts into life. Back to the Bible, Canada is committed to the sowing of God's Word. And you can stand with us in this commitment. Your regular financial gifts make this broadcast possible. Your kindness propels the Word of God across Canada. Your prayers help prepare the soil and your donations help plant the truth. This month, because of the generosity of a group of dedicated listeners, we've been privileged to extend our match campaign with an additional $75,000. So, double your impact dollar for dollar during the month of July. To do so, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: So what do we look like spiritually? Well, let's reread verses 24 and 25. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James speaks about staring into the perfect law. Now, what does that mean? Is he speaking about the law of love or does he have in mind the Old Testament law? See, I think he's speaking about the Old Testament law. I mean, after all, remember, James is written to Jewish Christians who were raised in the Old Testament law. And to them, the words the perfect law would have meant only one thing. Those words would have been an echo of Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. You see, the perfect law. See, we should also remember that at the time of the writing of James, which would have been between the years AD 48 to 52, The New Testament was a long way from being completed. So all preachers in the early church preached out of the Old Testament, and they preached out of the law. But God had shown them that through Jesus, they could now understand the law. And so we might say that they preached Jesus from the Old Testament and then would have shown their congregation how it is that the life, the ministry, and the teaching of Jesus actually helped them to understand the Old Testament and the law. Now that Jesus has come, the Old Testament became clear to them. And James would have been no different than the other preachers. I mean, he would have had the teaching of Peter, and he would have relied on that, and he would have been familiar with the teaching of Jesus, but he would have taught the Old Testament in the light of all of that. And James knows that the law is, in his words, a law of liberty, or a law that brings freedom, a freedom that's found in Christ. And by the way, if that sounds strange to you because, you know, because of what Paul says, think of it this way. You know, in many ways, when Paul condemns the law, what he's actually doing is condemning the Pharisaic misinterpretation of the law. Paul never has an issue with the law itself. Rather, he takes issue with the way in which the law was being used by the Jewish religious teachers of the day. For the Pharisees, law-keeping earned your way into heaven. But the law never taught that. The law, rather, made you aware of your own sin so that you might see God for grace. And that grace was found in Jesus. And and that's why Paul says that the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. But let's get back to James and his reference to the perfect law, the law he calls the law of liberty. Understand this. The Old Testament law, which is exemplified in the Ten Commandments, that reveals the standards by which God wants His people to live. When the law tells us to, one, to have no gods before God, and two, never to have an idol, and three, never to misuse the sacred name of God, and four, to remember the Sabbath, and five, to honor your father and your mother, and six, never to murder, and seven, never to commit adultery, and eight, never to steal, and and nine, never to bear false witness, and, and ten, never to envy. Well, well, God meant all of that. But all those commands came without the power to convert the heart. And a righteous law with a sinful heart, well, that's a toxic cocktail. The heart rebels, and the law, rather than breathing life, provokes God's wrath and excites even further sin on our part. The law does bring wrath to the unconverted and offers them no hope of being converted. But once the heart has been changed through the new birth, through what James calls being brought forth by the word of truth, that is, once the heart is changed by Christ and and through the Holy Spirit, now the heart rejoices over the commands that once brought death. Rather than exciting rebellion, the perfect law is a pathway to freedom. Look at it this way. You know, some people have something against rules, any rules. They just hate commands. But here's an illustration. Let's imagine you're going to take a vacation, by car, it's a road trip, and then you might learn that the law is freeing. I mean, the law is going to tell you which side of the road to drive on, and that is going to prevent you from dying. The law is going to teach you how to use your signal lights and when you can turn left and even show you the best roads to get where you want. You can avoid accidents and dead ends and frustrations, rules, law, and understood rightly, what's that about? freedom to travel. And so the faithful Christian asks, what rule does God have for me? And God answers, love God with all your heart. And we say, well, God, how do I do that? And he responds and teaches us his commandments. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we say, I don't know how. In fact, I don't even rightly know who my neighbor is. And God says, let me teach you. And soon as we're being taught, we gain freedom to live in his will. So let's say you're not a doer, however. Let's say you break the seventh command and you sleep with someone who is not your wife. The law is a mirror to your soul. And the law says, let me tell you what your spiritual condition looks like. You are an adulterer. No, you're not a cheater. No, you didn't just slip up. And no, it's not just a thing that doesn't mean anything. You're lying to yourself. Here's what you really look like, adulterer. That's the mirror image. But the law regarding adultery is a law of freedom, for if you keep the law, you'll see how freeing life is. You'll find out you don't have to lie anymore. You don't have to keep your story straight anymore. You don't have to wonder who saw you somewhere and I wonder what they might know. Rather, you're free. Now, let's reread verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world." Ah, now we're getting to what James has in mind. It turns out that the law ah, has a great deal to say about, first, slander, and then second, the care of the poor, and then third, and finally, keeping to personal holiness. But before I deal with these categories, let's notice that James says, if you think you are religious, but don't have these three areas in line, well, then you're deceiving yourself. Now, in our day, you see, both in the Christian community and in the general culture in which we live, the word religion, well, it's an extremely negative one. I've heard it on more than one occasion from a Christian, it goes like this. Religion, well, that's about what you have to do for God, and and Christianity, well, that's about what God has done for us. So... We are not in favor of religion any more than people in our culture are. See, I want to get into that as to whether or not that really is a proper definition of religion. I'll leave that discussion to another time. If we were to put James' word religion into our contemporary language, it would say spirituality. If anyone thinks he or she has a healthy spirituality, and that's what you think you really look like, well, let's see if you really have a picture of what your spiritual life is actually like. See, the first way of checking yourself is to ask, is my tongue bridled? It's a it's a horse analogy. You put a bridle into a horse's mouth and you direct him. In the same way is my tongue directed by God. That's because Leviticus nineteen verse sixteen says, You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. See that's what the perfect law of God said. That's the mirror to see your own spirituality. The second way of checking yourself is to ask, how am I responding to those who are in want or to the poor? Am I distant from those who are in need or am I responding by providing for the poor? The perfect law says in Deuteronomy 15 verse 11, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. That's a mirror to what your spiritual life looks like. A third way of checking yourself is to ask, am I living by a standard of personal holiness? Leviticus 19 verse 2 says, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know, when I began, I used the illustration of my belief in the principles of golf and that I'm definitely a hearer of the principles of golf and I'm certainly not a doer. And as I said, that's really of no consequence. But when it comes to the commands of God, It's a matter of great consequence, for this is the mirror to our own souls. Do we talk the talk and then not walk the walk? Do we tell ourselves that we're healthy spiritually, but we refuse to look into the mirror of the perfect law of liberty? See, don't you see that those who go through testing and in consequence find that their faith is being perfected are those who have allowed the word to be implanted in their soul and have allowed themselves to look into the mirror and to see a reflection of who they are. You see, here's James' concern. Have a look into the law of liberty. What does your spiritual life really look like? And if you don't like what you see, ask the Lord, and he will send the Holy Spirit, and God will transform you to become a doer, not just a hearer of the word.
0: John, I'm intrigued by this idea of in older days when when we had when we couldn't see ourselves or our image clearly, and what you're saying is Scripture provides clarity. It sure does. I, I think that many of us
1: say, I'm doing fine spiritually, but if we were to ask exactly how are you relating to the poor and uh, what is your relationship to them, I mean, James is gonna talk about that with a great deal of clarity and it's gonna ask us to examine ourselves in light of our treatment of the poor. Uh, We might come to a conclusion, boy, I thought I was a lot healthier than I am. But again, as we always would want to do when we look at passages like that, remember God's grace, remember his forgiveness, but take very seriously his commands and learn to work out the implications
0: of your faith in obedience to the word. That's what's crucial here. Thanks, John. Join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We've all been guilty of taking for granted that God's Word is always the perfect Word and available to us at all times. That's why we wanted to share with you an amazing book that will surely lift your thinking towards Bible reading for the better. It's called Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst. In this insightful resource, you'll find wisdom and guidance on how to approach your Bible with a positive mindset so you get the most out of your time in His Word. And because the message in this book is in sync with the mission of Back to the Bible Canada, we're making this resource available as a gift free during the month of July. Simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy for free today.